0: You're listening to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast, presented in late July 2021. Today, we'll talk about the pinball machine and various video games of the past for Doctor Who with our special guest, Ken Van Mersbergen. We'll protect those game boxes from retro protection in our collection protection segment and a 1975 John Pertwee annual that will exceed your jawline for the most outrageous offer. All coming up next. And now, singing our theme song, Fraser Hines.
1: They all say Ooh.
0: back to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast, the podcast that explores the sometimes old tech world of Doctor Who collecting, those who collect, issues surrounding Doctor Who collecting, and of course, all kinds of Doctor Who merchandise. I'm proud to be here today. I am Larry Van Mersbergen, your host, and I've been collecting Doctor Who since 1981. I had the honor and distinction of opening one of the first Dr. Who stores in Chicago, uh, 1984, called Bundles from Britain. And we were dealers at TARDIS 22 in November of 1985. Uh, We are mentioned in a wonderful book that every collector should have on their shelf, and it's called Red, White, and Who? The Story of Dr. Who in America. Uh, Bundles from Britain lives on page 384, and you can find a link to purchase this book on the front page of our website at doctorwhocollectors.com. We do not make any money on that book. We just want every collector to have a copy. Uh, Speaking of links, of course, I want to give you a couple of great links that all collectors should be using. Uh, First of all is timelash.com, the TARDIS book library, uh, to keep track of your books, your vinyl CD collection for free. Special thanks to Mr. Dan O'Malley, who keeps up that site and doesn't charge a fee. Uh, if you don't know what you have, or you're looking for something that might be outside that spec, then you can look it up at one of the greatest uh, resources for Doctor Who merchandise, Howe's Transcendental Toy Box, and that's at Toybox.co.uk. Of course, David J. Howe is a good friend of mine and a great resource for collectors. Of course, if you are looking for great Doctor Who items at great prices look no further than WhoStore.com, which is alien entertainment, and they have everything you need. If you're in Chicago, they're in the heart of downtown Lombard. Um, you can visit our website, of course, at DoctorWhoCollectors.com, and see a lot of the offerings from our sponsor at Forbidden Planet. Your purchases help keep this podcast on the air. Uh, Don't forget to sign up now for Chicago TARDIS 2021, returning to an in-person convention this Thanksgiving weekend. Guests include Colin Baker, our sixth doctor, Simon Fisher Becker, the great Doria Maldivar, Sadie Miller, the daughter of Elizabeth Sladen, who's uh, reincarnating the character of Sarah Jane Smith for Big Finish, and, of course, just announced the wonderful Fraser Hines. More to be announced, so keep chicagotardis.com in your bookmarks and experience the best Doctor Who convention in the Midwest. I'm honored by uh, them to be their collecting expert, so be sure to stop by and see the Doctor Who collecting presentation in person. Or you can see it from last year when we did the, the virtual convention, and you can find that on the Chicago TARDIS YouTube and Facebook page streams. We also have it on our playlist on YouTube if you just search Doctor Who Collectors Podcast. Our theme song, of course, is Who's Doctor Who, composed by Barry Mason and Les Reed, performed by Fraser Hines consider supporting our podcast, and you can do that in one of two ways. Uh, You can find us at Podbean, which is doctorwhocollectors.podbean.com, a great collection of podcasts, and you can click the subscribe button. And for any amount you choose, you can help keep our expenses down. You can also, of course, hear this podcast anywhere you get your podcasts, including now Stitcher Radio and Pandora. We are a proud member of the Doctor Who Podcast Alliance, so you can hear a lot of great Doctor Who podcasts at DoctorWhoPodcastAlliance.org. Also, you can check out our eBay store for some rare offerings. Every once in a while, we get duplicates into the collection here and or promo items that we don't necessarily want to hold on to. And all the proceeds from that store do benefit the podcast. Uh, A couple more podcasts I want to call your attention to. Uh, The first is, of course, Police Box in a Junkyard podcast, where a random Doctor Who story is discussed. And I've been a guest on a few episodes. It's been a lot of fun to to do. They actually pick a random either story or book or comic book or audio adventure. And so you never know what's going to come up next. And it's hosted by our good friend Eric O'Branson. You'll find it on SoundCloud as part of the Video Junkyard podcast family. Another podcast I highly recommend that you listen to is the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast, hosted by my good friend Tony Witt, along with Allison Fitch Sayfried and Dalton Hughes. I am proud to announce that our next episode, we will be doing a joint podcast broadcast on a very special Doctor Who item with the Target Book P- Club podcast. Excuse me. We are going to review a book in the Target Book Podcast format. And then switch over to the collector side of things with the same group of people um, putting together this presentation. Uh, it's going to be uh, basically the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast and the Doctor Who Collectors podcast. And it'll run on both of our platforms. So this will be the first time that this has been done that I'm aware of anyway. And we're going to be talking about a fan fiction favorite. This story came about in the early 80s, and I remember it being talked about quite well. And it's called The Doctor and the Enterprise, which was written by the late Gene Airy. It's one of the first stories to cross both universes. It features the fourth Doctor with the classic Star Trek crew, with Kirk, Spock, Bones, Scotty, Chekhov, Sulu, Uhura. And it be, it'll, it's going to be more fun than an Endoran yo-yo contest, I guarantee it. We will also be helping to celebrate their 100th episode, and it's an honor and a privilege to be part of that celebration. It's not easy to reach 100 episodes in the podcast world, but the Doctor Who Target Book Club has reviewed 100 Target Books, or technically Target Books. Some of these are, are, you know, we're off, um, you know, Some were target books, some were off-target. So anyway, join us for that. You'll join me, Tony Witt, Allison Fitch-Seyfried, and Dalton Hughes for this event. After the break, today we're going to talk about the Doctor Who pinball machine, the Minds of Terror video game for the Commodore 64, and Dalek Attack for the Amiga, and Destiny of the Doctors for Windows 98. Uh, My special guest is, of course, a video game expert, And my brother, Ken Van Mersbergen will be talking about that. He owns the pinball machine. Uh, We also have collection protection, the most outrageous offer, and a bonus audio clip. Stay tuned.
2: I would like to invite you to take a trip across all of time and space. Join us in the police box as we discuss the worlds of Doctor Who in a completely random order. We discuss it all. TV stories, audio adventures, novels, nonfiction books, and on and on. I'm your host, Eric Branson. I would be very happy if you'd join me for the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. The Police Box in the Junkyard podcast is a proud partner of the Video Junkyard podcast and can be found on most major podcast platforms including SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and Spotify.
0: You are listening to The
2: Doctor Who Collectors podcast.
0: We also get the views of intermediate, casual, and novice fans who either have never seen the show or who have never read these books until these podcasts, including. Dalton Hughes! And. Allison FitzAyfried. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you find good podcasts, or even ones like ours. You're listening to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast. Enjoy your travels.
1: Up there is the scanner. Those are the doors. That is a chair with a pander on it. Sheer sure poetry,
0: dear boy. You can go ahead. and now it's time for the main story today we're going to talk about doctor who arcade games and doctor who classic video games and so what you're hearing is the doctor who pinball machine that was made by bally uh, released in september of 1992 and currently the time destructor is open and my guest today is uh, someone very close to me, someone I introduced to Dr. who many years ago, and that's my brother Ken. welcome to the podcast.
2: Oh, I'm glad to be here.
0: Yeah, uh, so um, of course I've introduced you, you're my you're my younger brother, you've yep. been watching Doctor Who basically uh, since you were a kid, uh, yep. do, you, do you remember exactly when that was?
2: Uh, I don't know the year, but I, can, I know the Doctor and the story, it was Tom Baker of course, and mm-hmm. the story was Revenge of the Cybermen, and ah, I remember yes. it distinctly because it had the Howard De Silva introductions to it.
0: Yes, them. yes, which was common in the WTTW Chicago um uh, productions. In fact, those Howard De Silva introductions are now very difficult to find with the prints. But anyway, uh, the reason we're, we're gathered, our main story today, of course, is about the Doctor Who pinball and classic video games. So uh, you, I told uh, my listeners, I don't own the pinball, but it's in the family. So yep. <laughs> tell, uh, tell me about, uh, now, according to, um, you know, the Information I have that really it was released in September of nineteen ninety two. That's correct. And seven thousand seven hundred fifty two models were
2: released. Yes, that's confirmed. So, uh, tell me a little bit about the history of the pinball machine. Well, the pinball machine started uh, when Bill Futzenruder, who was a programmer at Williams, he programmed a lot of the uh, uh, pinball machines at that time. He was given an opportunity to design his own pinball game. They figured mm-hmm. it was time for him to do so, and. He asked, "What theme should he do?" Was like, well, do a theme that you're into, that you know all all the aspects of, that makes it easier to design a game. So we chose Doctor Who, mm-hmm. who's a huge Doctor Who fan, probably still is. And his his first vision of the game was he wanted uh, all the companions, all the Doctors, because the most fun he said was in the multi Doctor stories. So his game will have all the Doctors in there, all seven of them at the time, and all their uh, as many companions as he could possibly fit in. So he set out to design the game and he broke out an old um, drafting table because the mm-hmm. CAD computers they used at the time were expensive and they couldn't get him one. Okay. He was already a programmer, and he was already approaching his budget for that system he used there. And he designed it, and they built a Whitewood. A Whitewood is a prototype of a pinball machine. Okay. Basically, it allows them to play the game before it becomes production to see if the shots work, is it fun, is there things that need to change. Well, he couldn't hit any of the shots, and the game was not fun. So, okay. <laughs> Dejected, he went to Roger, to Roger Sharp's office, uh, you probably guys know of Roger Sharp, uh, very, very important in pinball history.
0: Okay. Uh,
2: he, he basically uh, dumped all his problems on Roger's desk, so to speak, and Roger gave him a pep talk, talked about his early d- design days and how he was discouraged, but he carried on. And he said, you know, Barry is not working on anything right now. Why don't you go down to his office and see if he'll co-design the game with you? So he did, and Barry agreed. And he basically got rid of all of Bill's devices, created all new ones, and made a game that actually played well and had good shots and was w- was fun to play. Uh, you can see a lot of Barry's design in the design of the game itself uh, with the time expander, the 15 control panel lights in front of it, mm-hmm. is reminiscent of PinBot.
0: If oh, you're familiar okay. with that pinball? Yes. there's
2: also yes. a lighted control panel in front of their device, so that, that's mm-hmm. Barry Owser there. So the game was produced... Um, Initially, there was an inside joke. It was actually at the bottom of the stairs of the building, the prototype was, so people could play it. And the doctor's at the bottom of the stairs. And uh, (laughs) that's the kind of joke that they would say about that. (laughs) They weren't sure how well it would sell, though, as Doctor Who, at the time, even then, it was still a bit of a niche type of topic, uh, of of, of subject. in 92,
0: Doctor Who merchandising was actually in a nosedive because the series had been canceled in 1989 and we're still four years away from any hope of a a return and even a decade away from the actual return. So I would imagine that this was probably looked at um, in America as far as why are we putting out a Doctor Who pinball machine when there's no market for it.
2: Well, also the license was cheap. Oh, when okay. he looked into that Doctor Who, they called up uh, the BBC, mm-hmm. and it was actually quite cheap to get a Doctor Who license at that time. So that's why he went forward with the project. Okay. And so initially, he wanted to have the, uh, all the Doctors have speech in the game, all the companions have a phrase or two in the game. But when they added all that up, because they had to get, you know, they had to contract the actors, they had to mm-hmm. book studio time. Right. Um, the John Hay, the sound engineer, had to travel over there. That was all put in the budget for obtaining these sound samples.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And they turned; it was just too much money for that ambitious. It was too ambitious. So he was told, "You got to whittle it down." So he whittled it down to basically the three characters he was having in the game: the master, which at the time was his main villain in the game. Uh, mm-hmm. The Anthony Ainley master was okay. his target for that. Uh, the doctor, he said, uh, the seventh doctor, Sylvester McCoy, because he was the, the current one at the time, mm-hmm. and the Daleks. He wanted a guy, uh, a voice, to do the to do the Daleks because they were also an enemy in the game. Okay. So he wrote the script for what he needed the actors to say, and also later, uh, Sylvester McCoy added some of his own phrases on his own. Okay. So that's why some of his trademark phrases are also in the game. Futz didn't write those, he. Stuck him in there, and they liked him, so they put him so, in.
0: So, w- so was Dalek in the corner pocket uh, so Yes, that was, that was Sylvester's okay. ad-lib line. That was Sylvester's <laughs> ad-lib line. That, that it's like a good it's one. one. They left yeah. it in
2: okay. on purpose. But he had like five or six pages of master speech because he was the main villain. He had to explain the plot. He had to explain all these things. And, mm-hmm. and uh, Doctor, there's no way you can win. Ha, 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 and things like that. Right. So they, John Hay bundles up his sound recorder, goes to England to record the actors. He, he did record the speech, but um, he, uh, he called up uh, Bill and said, uh, yeah, Anthony didn't record any master speech, and he did not explain why. So it was kind of obvious, but he said, but there's a gentleman here who's doing the Dalek voices. He says he could also do a Davros voice. His name is Terry Molloy. Oh. So Terry Molloy did the Dalek voices, and now he's doing the Davros voice. So Bill said, oh, that's awesome. So he quickly cobbled together some speech, three pages this time, you know, budget. Right. Because he, he had to change the script. It can't be the master anymore. And the master in the game was changed to the Roger Delgado-looking master and just a track uh, laugh, ha, 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 was, was put in, just him, just that. He doesn't talk at all other, in, in any other way. But he okay. is featured prominently on the play field.
0: Yes. Uh, in fact, while we're on that, subject, so describe the play field for our listeners since the listeners won't have a visual. But as we're, as we're looking down from the flippers, what do we see in the artwork? Uh, um,
2: uh, there's the play of layout. You do have the Master and the Daleks at the bottom by, by the flippers. They're mm-hmm. quite large. On the left here, by the Hang-On score, we have Patrick Troughton along with Jamie and Zoe. second Doctor is there with the TARDIS console. And off on the right, near the escape targets, is uh, the first Doctor and Susan. Okay, yes. And right in the corner to him is John Pertwee's Doctor, along with Liz Shaw and the Brigadier and Sergeant Benton. Okay. In Bessie. And to the left of him is Colin Baker's Dr. Six Doctor and Perry on the mountainous planet where it uh, looks like the Daleks are there as well, right there, okay. the back They're hiding there. And up to his left are the repair targets where you find the fourth Doctor in Leela. Okay. Basically, that he's repairing his TARDIS from old uh, force field generators, unreliable force field generators. Now you have to ask, where's the fifth Doctor? Well, he's back in the back right hand corner. He's, he's there with uh, Tegan, Nissa, and Adric. Okay. And he's in the midst of a bunch of transmat uh, uh, spheres. He basically, his doctor helps you with the, with, with the, with the transmat. Okay. And the time expander takes up the back of the play field, and the master is there as well. Mm-hmm. Looks like he's about to push a button.
0: Okay. We also. I just just noticing here. We also have the Who-mobile.
2: Yep, Humobile is on there as well. And, can, and
0: the and tar- the, the and the Tardis. Yeah,
2: the Tardis is here. That's how the ball enters the playfield through the Tardis. You might have heard mm-hmm. that sound effect. Yes. When the game is played. That's when the ball enters the playfield. Anytime the ball enters the playfield from that area. It comes through the TARDIS. Which, Which, you know,
0: and just going back to the license, obviously all of those sounds, the TARDIS dematerialization, the theme song are all heavily licensed. Um, Another curious thing, too, and I don't know if you have any insight to this, is the chosen uh, to use the classic Doctor Who logo versus the neon logo, which would have been prominent in 1992. um, Mm -hmm. Why did they go with the diamond logo?
2: Um, probably because he felt it was more prominent, more well-known in the, in the States, because Tom Baker started it, and probably too, uh, as well. Uh, Tom Baker was, well, <laughs> was the doctor to me as a kid, and probably a lot of people who be playing this pinball would know that as well. Mm-hmm. So the diamond logo, I think, is just more, it, it's a classic look. It's You know what it is instantly. The neon might be a little hard to read, maybe, mm-hmm. on, on, on a pinball machine. Plus, you can't light it up oh, as okay. well as it does. There was, there was a bit of a, of a light effect on the logo on the back glass when it's on.
0: Okay, and um, and just to talk to our view, our listeners for a moment, that the first one hundred of these games included a Dalek topper. Uh, your machine has the Dalek Topper, but it's not one of the first one hundred machines. Right. And then later they actually came out with what they called a wobblehead kit to upgrade your machine to a uh, moving Dalek. And that is also not what you have in your nope, machine. That's not what I have. So here. you rigged it up yourself. So yes. tell us tell our listeners how you rigged up your Dalek. And by the way, we have a little video of the Dalek moving on our it'll be on our YouTube page and our website. But go ahead and tell us about well, that.
2: It's true. The first 100 units had a moving dalek head. Mm-hmm. Then uh, the bean counters attacked. They I said, bet it was very expensive costs to too do. Too much, Bill. You got to cut it down. He defended a lot of the a lot of the features on mm-hmm. this machine, but the moving dalek head. They said that wasn't really necessary, and it was right. So all Doctor pinballs have a dalek up there. They just don't move. Okay. The flasher bulb is still in there. When the daleks talk, it it, it flashes. But uh, what I did, I found out that the actual uh, Williams still had to support the first 100 machines that had the moving head if there was a problem. So they still stocked the motor. Okay. So at this time, this would be 1999, about the year 2000, I found that they still had the motor in stock. Oh, wow. So I ordered one. I figured, what the heck, I'll order one. So you see if they'll give it to me. And they did. I'm like, wow, okay, now I have the motor. Now what? So I had to do some research and find out how the motor was actually hooked up.
0: Okay. What circuits
2: control it. And I had a friend of mine at the time, uh, Urban Cruz, who I worked, with when I worked at the time. He was a bit of an electronics whiz more than I was at the time. And uh, he helped me construct this. And okay. we, uh, I, I stole an opto sensor from the upper right flipper because it doesn't exist on this game. And that's the opto switch. There, there is a ring with a tab up there that tells the head when the head is in the center position. And that's when it stops. Okay. It goes left and right, and then it will stop. Now, the actual wobble kit has a slowdown motor. Mine does not have a slowdown motor, so my Dalek uh, panics more because he moves a lot, lot faster. But I like oh, that wow.
0: better. Okay, so more of a custom
2: it's definitely a definitely custom job. The motor got its drive. We found that where it got it from from old documentation we found mm-hmm. at, at Williams. They had it, and very nicely they gave us copies of it. Okay. And at that time, they were very open to, to requests. It was a reasonable request. Sometimes they have to pay, but. They didn't this time. They just gave us the information.
0: I can also understand, too, that m- when you move the machine and have to place it in, that breaking that Dalek head would be a, a high consideration yeah. and probably something they considered.
2: Yep. Although it is, it, it's its own dome, and it's held down with security screws. Okay. No people getting in there. Okay. And when you're the machine, you unhook it, and you fold the back glass so, down.
0: So the security screws. Screws to keep people from stealing the Dalek. Yep.
2: <laughs> Although there are some machines I've seen on some locations that did not have the Dalek anymore cause it was most likely removed due to space uh, considerations. Because yeah. most pinballs at the time, they don't have anything up there. But in the early 90s, it was Williams' greatest era of pinball. The Adams family came out, It was a huge pinball success for them. And Doctor Who was after that. And they just had everybody was putting toppers on their Bender pinball machines for hmm. some reason.
0: Okay. That's and just, uh, just as far as moving goes, does the top fold down yes, over it does. the machine? Okay, that's great. And it's uh, just to, just to kind of... Now, to talk about the fact, one of the things we, we talk about on the podcast is the cost of collectibles. This is a very unique collectible. Yes, um, the David Howes Transcendental Toy Box uh, does list the pinball machine, and from 2003, which is a long time ago, they list the possible price in working mint condition at about $4,000. We're now in 2021, I assume there are fewer of these machines that are actually fully working. I know the parts are available all over the place. There are, are um, items that you can buy, including um, the, the Seven Doctors and kind of a, almost a Christmas ornament type of fashion yep. and other things. So in your opinion, as an expert in pinball and of course the Doctor Who pinball, what would one expect to pay for a completely working machine today?
2: Probably if it's fully working, fully repaired and there's no problems with there's no damage to the artwork of the sides or the analog is still there even if it moves or not i'd say it's more around eight eight thousand these days eight thousand dollars
0: we've researched um offers out there and that is about what i call a reasonable offer for the pinball machine uh and especially in full working condition also it takes up a little bit of space and not easy to move up and down stairs i nope, imagine not at all so uh that's, that's something to consider as well. Uh, so if, if you were going to give advice to somebody who is shopping for a doctor who pinball machine, what advice would you give them?
2: Uh, basically, make sure you have the room for it. Make sure you have the ability to transport it. you got a friend with a truck, that's a good, that's a good plus. And have a couple of strong bodies to help you carry it. Having a cart is, is, is paramount. Any, uh, any advice and
0: tips about once you get it, how to maintain it?
2: Well, pinballs do require a lot of maintenance and care. A lot of times you're replacing light bulbs because they do burn out. Mm-hmm. However, there are some LED upgrade kits using LED lights which last longer. I debated uh, getting one for Doctor Who. They're not the expensive; they're around like 150 to 200 dollars, depending on the vendor you get it from. And every mm-hmm. vendor's got lights that are a little brighter, a little dimmer, a little different. So uh, the best place to go is like the Pinball Expo. Just coming up in October, they're actually having it this year.
0: That's in uh, Chicago, the, uh, the Chicago Schaumburg, area. Schaumburg it's in area.
2: Schaumburg area this year. There's a new location for we'll,
0: them. We'll post the uh, information about the Pinball Expo uh, on our usually page.
2: Usually, is a Doctor Who pinball there usually, and it's usually been decked out with LEDs and some other things, a color DM uh, dot display they have mm-hmm. now for this for this game. I try to keep mine uh, as they were from the factory. That's my thing. I like that.
0: So it's almost an original machine, right? With the, except for the upgrades. Yeah, the
2: upgrade, the upgrade to the dollar cat because <laughs> I, I thought it was cool and I thought we should we should restore it. The, the accountants took it away, but we're going to put it back. Sounds good.
0: <laughs> so, okay, that was the Doctor Who pinball machine. We're going to move on to classic Doctor Who video games. So now we're going to talk about classic Doctor Who video games. And for that, we're going to have to go back to the mid-80s and the Commodore sixty four. So, Ken, tell us about this game that we're going to take a look at.
2: Well, this one's called Doctor Who in the Minds of Terror. It originally came out in 1985 for the BBC Microcomputer. Then later it was ported to the Commodore 64 and the Amstrad CPC in 1986. Of course, the version we have here, of course, is the Commodore 64 version. Okay. It doesn't do a bad job on the theme. Mm -hmm. The Commodore 64 SID chip.
0: Okay, and um, let's talk about gameplay and what exactly is going on with the game.
2: Yeah, we'll start that up here. It's got to load in.
0: Remember, old computers take a little time to load, everybody.
2: (laughs) The TARDIS just... Yep, the TARDIS materialized, and now the Colin Baker doctor is there with Splinks, which is his little cat, programmable cat. Okay. And the doctor moves around. The objective of the game is to stop the production of heatonite. Apparently, the master has a tiru, okay. which I forgot what that stands for. But but right. uh, it's a weapon that the doctor was sent here by the time lords to stop him. He's got to stop the production of heatonite. Okay. I thought it was as simple as just taking the pickaxe away from people down here, but right. it's not that simple.
0: I will say, even with the uh, early graphics, um, that the Colin Baker doctor is actually very easy to d- to distinguish. We're going to show it. you some video on our on our YouTube page. I love the public domain soundtrack too, by the way.
2: look <laughs> oh, like the Bad News Bears. The animation's actually quite good. I have a pickaxe. There it is. I, will, uh, I, I, I did the game. <laughs> they can't mind the heat knight, can they? But well, no, it's not that simple. Even if he's standing there doing nothing, he still produces right. uh, a heat knight. Right. I, mean, I thought it was dumb at the time. So,
0: so the doctor has the to stop the heat knight and prevent... Does, does the master
2: appear in the game? No, I don't think he appears in the game. Okay. But he is uh, there. And the, uh, the, the robot guardians here, as you'll see, they look suspiciously like Daleks. Okay. But they're not called Daleks because they can't be called
0: Daleks. Right. The Terry Nation Estate did not grant permission.
2: Right. Well, they pursued it, but it was too expensive. This game was already. See, there oh, are. yeah, they do look yeah, like Daleks. Daleks. Uh huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, this game, Power, it cost them so much money to develop this game mm-hmm. that they went out of business shortly after its release. Oh, wow. And it was only released in England, so it's kind of hard to find here in the U.S. Matter of fact, I don't think any U.S. software houses picked it up. Okay. So the only reason we played it. There's that guy there. Where did he put the heat knife in here? Where did he get it from? I have his pickaxe. <laughs> I don't know. So one of my goals to beat this game at one point because when I played it years ago, I had no idea what the object of the game was. Right. Because uh, you have to have the, the manual with the documentation because it actually explains a lot on how the game is played and how to use Splinks. Splinks is programmable. He can go places where you can't and all the guards and people ignore him. Okay. So you can send them into an area that you can't get into, for example. Well, listeners,
0: if you have this game uh, and have Uh-oh. a manual, contact us at Doctor Who Collectors Podcast at gmail.com. And uh, so that's the, that's the Doctor Who and the Minds of Terror. We're going to actually look at another game on, on a system called the Amiga, which is called Dalek Attack. So now we're kind of listening to the opening of a game called Dalek Attack, uh, which is on the Amiga system. And you can see the video of this, uh, which actually looks pretty good, featuring the seventh Doctor, Sylvester McCoy. So when did this game come out?
2: In the early 90s. Think about 92, 93. Only in England again. It was not brought here to the U.S. Okay.
0: Again, using the classic Doctor Who logo versus the, uh, what would be the
2: 89 logo. 89 logo I'm not sure why they did that. In mm-hmm. this case, I'm not sure why they, they did something like that. But, but the game is basically an arcade shooter. Okay. familiar so with those? Yes. It yes. can support but two players, one is the Doctor
0: a Little bit of genesis of the Daleks there.
1: When the time is right, we will our rightful place as the of
2: the Yes, the Amiga was capable of much better sound than the Commodore 64.
0: So what year was the Amiga released? The Amiga came out in
2: 1987. 1985, the first Amigas came out. Okay the music is way improved. Oh, yeah. And the part made by alternative software. Okay.
0: Do you know what the price of the game was back in the day? Uh, I think it was about $40. $40, okay. 1992, yep.
2: 1992, okay. As so as
0: again, software. like the same year the pinball came out. Yep.
2: But they were developed as a you know, totally alien one
0: another. So right. No so it's day. interesting that they produced all these games oh, man, when man. Doctor Who was off the air. Yeah. <laughs> 254 to planet Skaro. Davros, in the presence of the Emperor Dalek, addresses his battle command. Okay.
2: The occasion begins. destroy the pods and reverse the beam before Davros turns the Earth into a Dalek production planet.
0: Oh, wow.
2: Like player's character, I always play as a doctor. Base music or sound effects. Music chorus, and sound effects. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Sound effects might be. Good. <laughs> and you start at the sewer level. Okay.
0: Of course, you got to start mm-hmm. at the bottom.
2: Doctor's kind of on a floating platform where he's shooting different things. He takes too long. Daleks to appear behind him. You can't turn around and shoot them, though, which is really stupid. <laughs> okay. Poor game design. They're taking damage from them.
0: Definitely interesting that the uh, it's it's basically like a standard shoot up type of game. How many lives does the doctor get?
2: Yeah, like he gets. Uh, show I mean, only one, I think. One. Like okay. Damage. <laughs> when you take damage, your face turns into a. Oh. Yeah. So we've lost
0: it. So, we have one life. Okay. So anyway, just to, just kind of. Recap on on these classic video games. Were there more produced, or were these just pretty much the par for the course?
2: Oh, uh, it was this this particular game also came out for the Commodore sixty four and the IBM PC DOS came out there as okay. well as the Commodore Amiga. Uh, only in England, so I'm not sure how it, if it sold very well at all. I know the previous thing we looked at that did not sell very well at all because it was not a very good game. Okay. And as I said, the company went out of business shortly after producing it, so there was very little marketing. Gotcha. So that's why it's so hard to find. Okay. Whereas Dalek Attack was more well known, um, almost a staple of, of Amiga gaming, had good graphics, a good and good sound, and the gameplay, um, it's basically an arcade shooter. Okay.
0: Okay, and lastly, I want to talk uh, just briefly about the the game Destiny of the Doctors, which uh, came out for the Windows 98 machine, Uh, so tell us what you know about that. I know that, for one thing, it's the final appearance of Anthony Ainley as the master, as he died
2: shortly after, but tell us about the game. Well, the game was created, once again, in England, not created here. Mm -hmm. I found out about it, I believe, through Doctor Who magazine. Mm -hmm. They said it was coming out, so I... At that time, uh, you did have limited internet at that time to to, to find things, and I was able to import a couple copies of the game. I gave one to a friend of mine, and I kept the other one. Mm -hmm. I played the game because I was waiting for a decent Doctor Who game for quite some time (laughs) to come out, and it wasn't that bad. It does have custom speech from... uh, all the surviving doctors, So interesting is John Purry was scheduled to do a recording session, but he died suddenly. Right. And they were not able to do that, so his uh, voices, voices are sampled from his existing episodes. Right. So his dialogue is limited in the game. Yes. Whereas, uh, starting from Tom Baker, he gives you intricate instructions and talks directly to you. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's pretty interesting with that. And, of course, Anthony Ainley is the master. He does a very good job in, in this game. He is the primary villain. He has a lot of uh, full-motion video footage of him. I believe the video footage is on the, uh, the DVD Survival release, I believe. Survival has yes. all of his scenes on that DVD, if you're interested in just his scenes.
0: You can also find a lot of those scenes on YouTube. They've, they've made their way to there, and we'll include some of those um, in our in our broadcast as well. Um, but the, the one thing, too, since since Destiny of the Doctors, there was a long period of silence Uh, In the world of Doctor Who games, there wasn't anything that really came out in the in the video era, but uh, not to even go there. But I know, not too long ago, they did release some um, adventure games uh, featuring the Eleventh Doctor. Uh, Do you know anything about those?
2: No, I have no experience with those. Although I do know there was a games that came out for the Wii.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes, there was a Nintendo
2: DS had a version had had a game. And there was a recently there was a VR game for PlayStation VR and the Oculus that was released. I figure it does feature uh, the Kermit Doctor.
0: Okay. Uh, and uh, any advice out there to people looking f- to find these classic video games? Any places you can direct them to other than the obvious? Well,
2: the obvious place is eBay. I don't right. recommend <laughs> eBay in most cases, but in, in a lot of cases, it's the only place you can find these. I know there is a copy of uh, Minds of Terror on there right now, going for about $150 Australian. Uh, it's, okay. a, it's a cassette version, though. It was released right. on cassette and disc. Disc is the more desirable one mm-hmm. for people who collect. Um, there, there was one on there a couple of years ago. I think it went for $300. Wow. Uh, remember, these were only released in England and no software house in the U.S. imported and released it here, so there's no American copies.
0: And, of course, we're talking several decades after they were released right. and not many, many were made. Right. So these do count. I, 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 one of the words I hate using is the word rare because it's overused yes, it in is. collecting, but I would call these actually
2: rare things to find. In this case, uh, yeah, they are rare. One, because, as I said, my, uh, the company went out of business shortly after they released it. It, was, it cost them too much money. So there wasn't a whole lot of marketing, and people who bought it, a lot of reviewers did not like the game, and then that influenced some people whether or not they bought it, and whether or not they kept it. Some people might have put it in the rubbish tip. So, <laughs> yeah, if you, if you find a box copy, it's actually quite nice. Uh, the Minds of Terror actually is, is, is a nice case that, that it comes in, very presentable. It goes around the bookshelf, it looks really nice. Okay. Uh, Dalek Attack was in more of a regular type of box, which also had very good artwork on it. But uh, once again, it only released in England. But that one might be easier to find. More copies of that were made. Okay. I said it was very popular within circles. the made that one. Uh, people people imported it, but not the well, actually not the legal way. Uh, mm-hmm. It ended right, up I in gotcha. America. I mean, my first experience at Minds of Terror was similar. You know, but we didn't understand anything about the game. It was very difficult to play it because you mm-hmm. need the manual in most cases. But okay, yeah, they are hard to find. I said they're hard to find. Okay. But if you persist, you could find them out there, but. Um, you will have to import it, in most cases, from either Australia or the UK.
0: Well, um, that, can, that basically concludes our story on, on the pinball and classic games. Uh, I want to thank my guest, Ken Van Mersbergen. Thank you very much for your contribution.
2: Oh, no problem. I enjoyed it. Sad, right? isn't it? People spend all that time making nice things, and other people come
0: along and break them. And now it's time for collection protection. And today, since our theme is video games, I thought I'd do a little research into video game protection. Normally, we talk about our wonderful uh, friends at uh, Bags Unlimited. But today, we're going to talk about another company. And you can find them at RetroProtection.com. Uh, high quality cases for display and defense. And they offer a lot of different protection um products for, let's say, your Funko Pops, um, Nintendo, Sega, Atari, uh, PC games, audio cassette adventures, and also including Hot Wheels, G.I. Joe action figures, and Legos, uh, trading cards, um, but they also deal with VHS and um, things like that, Star Wars, and television. Uh, you can take a look at a lot of their different, including whole consoles. They have boxes that'll hold your Nintendo and your your Sega and your uh, your Wii and things of that nature. So they, they are a pretty um, pretty intense company here that has a lot of those different things. So if you're looking for something that protects those particular items, then we highly recommend uh, RetroProtection.com. Uh, Let's see. I don't think they have a phone number. They do not. So everything is online So that's the best place you can go to find protection for those boxes They might actually have box protectors that might serve other items as well A lot of times I'm looking for something to hold the Dennis fixture action figures And sometimes I'll find a box for something else that actually will fit that pretty well So uh, a lot of times we're looking at experiment experimenting and trying to figure out what will do the best But um, they come highly recommended and they're highly well reviewed. Uh, So I'm saying again, this is called Retro Protection at RetroProtection.com for all your video game uh, related and other protection agencies. Of course, if you're looking for bags for your books, I still stick by Bags Unlimited Incorporated at BagsUnlimited.com. Thank you. This has been Collection Protection.
1: All my travelings throughout the universe, I have battled against evil, against power
0: mad conspirators. I should have stayed here. The oldest civilization, decadent, degenerate, and
1: rotten to the core. Power mad conspirators, Daleks, Tartarans, Cybermen. They're still in the nursery compared to us. Ten million years of absolute power. That's what it takes to be really corrupt.
0: And now it's time for the most outrageous offer. We do get lots of emails um, providing, you know, what they think to be outrageous offers. Some of them may be just a little high priced, but, you know, uh, ultimately, you know, as much as we don't agree with the practice, uh, the market may drive a certain item to a certain price point that is higher than where we think it should be. But That's not up to us where there's no uh, governing body on that. But today, um, we have an outrageous offer that is clearly over the mark um and uh so we're going to talk about that here so we have here the doctor who annual 1975 which uh was the final uh annual for John Pertwee as the doctor um it's uh it's a wonderful book i have a copy in my collection and um we have a bookseller here called uh let's see here low key books in sumas washington uh they have been selling books since 2018 and uh, they have a copy of the book here in good condition. Some moderate creases or wear. Um, might be an ex-library copy. And so they're saying it's pretty much not that great. Um, anyway, uh, the, uh, the price they're asking for this is $1,749.99. Which I thought, that's uh, I, to me, that's outrageous. That's crazy because um, I also did a, an alternative search for this book, and I found that you can buy them in the same condition for sixteen dollars. <laughs> so um, the exact, um, the exact same, uh, exact same book, uh, same condition, um, readable copy, fair. Maybe some highlighting. Maybe the cover's bent. If you're just looking for a reading copy, um, you can pay less than ten percent. Uh, Less than 1%, I should say, of the uh, cost of what they were asking for. So $1,749 for a slightly banged up copy of the annual 75, I... Going to say no on that one. That is definitely an outrageous offer. If you have seen an offer that is truly outrageous, and like I said, I've seen a few come through, uh, send, this, send them to us here at Doctor Who Collectors Podcast at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Doctor Who Collectors. Thank you so much. This has been an outrageous offer. Well, thank you for listening today to our podcast. Uh, We're going to end our podcast with a little Baldur's audio clip from Destiny of the Doctors, the master's intro, and the audio sequence uh, from When You Win the Game. Uh, So uh, I hope you enjoyed today's broadcast. Um, Stay tuned. Our next episode will be a joint podcast with the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast. We're celebrating their 100th anniversary, and we'll be talking about the late Gene Aries novel, The Doctor and the Enterprise, a novel that was never meant to be published. Oh, and more stories about that, including the sequel. So we'll see you then next time. You'll hear that podcast on both platforms. Uh, It'll be released as the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast and the Doctor Who Collectors podcast. So this is Larry Van Mersburg and your host saying, keep collecting.
1: planet of pure mental energy. I, the Master, have harnessed the majesty of your psychic intellect and made you... ...my puppet. Through you I shall fulfill my destiny to bend the universe unto my will. To begin, I summon the seven complete incarnations of the one known as the Doctor. A Time Lord who, more than any other, has sought to... ...frustrate my destiny. The Doctor's seven past incarnations shall be summoned hither where they shall be my prisoners to be dealt with as I see fit. I shall encapsulate the Doctor's psyche within the depths of the determinant, the domain I have created through your conquered will, and I shall systematically eradicate all past and any futures of the one who has sought to undermine my supremacy. verem you away ever now bring forth the doctor <laughs> ah the most recent one so busy setting plans and traps that he fails to see those set for him oh look the blustering one in the stupid coat Now he struts and gloats. Wait, there's the nice one, such charm, such innocence, such naivety, such a fool. The Bohemian, the Wanderer, one so keen to abandon his roots that he abandoned his sense. Now there was a worthy foe, such cunning, such ingenuity, all wasted through that stubborn streak of goodness. The Comedian, but a capable Comedian too. Not quite the clown he looks, this one. And there's the first. Such wisdom, such intellect. But oh, what a bore the fellow was. What? A hero? A challenger? Someone to defend your miserable existence, Doctor? Something you've cobbled up yourself by the look of it? Well, good luck, Croc. You'll definitely need it. <laughs> the destiny of the doctors is in your hands. <laughs> Don't make me laugh. Ha, 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 ha. Mark, Doctor, thank goodness you turned up. Hasn't it been fun? Actually, I quite enjoyed our intellectual exchanges at the Great Divide. Stimulating. Well, let's crack on now and start sorting out this old universe. Eh? We'll have to hurry. These monsters, they've taken it all the wrong way, as you can see. Our sense of humour completely lost on them. They think that I was actually serious about that dominating the universe business. <laughs> But quickly, summon Zerulos and release me from my captivity, Doctor. Brock, I implore you, it's time for a truce. Let's make a pact. They have me, but it was only a game, an intellectual challenge. I played fair. I never tampered with the rules. For old time's sake, release me, Doctor. You know what these monsters will do to me. Release me!
0: Release me!